Thank you guys so much for coming. Are you excited about midweek? I, I, I will not lie to you. Uh, we had a bigger turnout than we were anticipating. Well, you can already see from the chairs in here. I'm really excited. I'm really thankful. To be honest with you, I've been praying to God for midweek for, for years to come back to it. I just think midweek is that one service that you usually want to skip because you're tired after work. Like even today, I was, I was late because I had problems with dinner, you know, after like, anyway. <laughs> you guys know what midweek is like, but I've always felt this way. Even if I didn't feel like coming, once I came, I was glad I came. So I don't know if you guys feel that way, but... But uh, so I'll be I'll be teaching the class. Pam's going to be helping me, my helper of uh, a minute or two, 41 years. So um, but so Pam might stand up uh, at her own prompting any time and maybe share some stuff. This is different. This class is different. You're not going to have a class on conflict resolution. We're not going to do that particular class. We're not going to have a class on communication. Like, we're not going to have the sex talk class. Remember the sex talk class? <laughs> All of those are wonderful for a marriage class. This is not that. This is a new approach. Now, I've been leading a community group in Margate, and I said, man, we should do something for marriage. Some of you know Chris and Katie Jackson, and some of you know Chris and Lorna Grant. And both of them said, we took a sacred marriage class years ago. It changed our marriage. And it's different than anything you've ever seen. So I want you guys to give this some time. The way that we're going to do this in each class is we're going to watch a video that's about 20 minutes. And this is copyrighted. You may not be able to find this on YouTube. Like this is the author's own stuff. We're going to watch this 20-minute video, and then we're going to discuss it for the remaining time that we have. And I do want to shoot for about 8.35 or maybe even 8.30 to wrap up, so I'll be keeping an eye on the clock. If you guys don't talk, this class is not going to go that well. And I'm not kidding, because um, this is not about transferring knowledge. It's really not. It's a perspective on marriage that you may never have seen before. And so, now look, it looks a little dated because it is a little dated. So if you feel like all of a sudden you've been transported back to the 1980s, <coughs> or 1990s, whenever this guy made it. But listen, bear with it, because the points the, guys, the guy makes are a new perspective that I think you might be able to find really helpful. So, Wismar, is that seat open? It's open. Got it. So and I, and I got it. Today. <laughs> so look, um, Sacred Marriage is a book. Consider reading the book. I'm not going to require it. You guys don't even have a grade for this. You know, like, your assigned reading is. So, um, but uh, this is the contents of the book boiled down into videos. So I would consider the book really helpful but optional. You can just go on Amazon or the author, Gary Thomas, his website, and order Sacred Marriage if you would also like to read it along with us. It's just not required. Something he does not talk about, but the one thing I would like to add is I would like to encourage every one of you to have a friend or find a friendship couple that you can meet with consistently to talk about your marriage and to have a friendship with another Christian couple. If you do not have that, 
I strongly, strongly encourage you, initiate a friendship with another couple that maybe lives close to you, that maybe is close to your age, or maybe a little more mature, that you can talk with about your marriage as well as build a friendship. If you have a friendship like that, please maintain it. You know, initiate with them. If you haven't met with them for a long time, use this class as a time to renew a friendship with at least one or two other couples where you can kind of hold each other accountable or commiserate with each other. What Pam and I would do with John and Pat Brush, with, with uh, Tom and Mary Hathaway, is that we're allowed to tell on each other. And so if I treat Pam wrong, Pam can go right to Tom Hathaway and go, you know what Joe did to me? You know what Joe said? She, we, we have permission, all four of us. We can tell on each other. Do you understand this? This idea where you're not trying to hide your problems. Because that's an opportunity for Satan. So, so I want to encourage that kind of friendship. So like I said, it's, this is a whole thing. You can just buy the book or you can buy the DVD series if you want. Because I haven't been able to find it on, a, on Audible. That's cool. Here's the ground rules. When we get to the discussion part after the, the video, do not talk about your spouse's sins. If you want to bring up wrongdoing, talk about your own sin. If you feel the need to discuss your spouse's sin, find a couple or a counselor to speak with about that. A public classroom is usually not an effective place to bring up your spouse's wrongdoing. Are you with me? So this is going to be very hard to keep this ground rule because I want some open, vulnerable sharing if you're willing. And therefore, I'm asking you guys, if you're going to be open and vulnerable, don't be confessing your spouse's sins. Talk about what you could change. You understand that? Like it's hard enough to change yourself. You've probably already learned this. You cannot force change upon your spouse. So uh, don't try to force it with peer pressure in here, okay? So, so let's watch it. Watch the video. So uh, I just had a general question before I have a couple of specific questions. Any initial um, thoughts, comments, anything resonate with you? Or do any of you, any of you have any questions about what we just listened to? Any initial comments or questions? Yeah, Stephen. It was really, um, really impactful just to hear him say, because we always think of, especially as disciples, that even when we get married, we want to put God first. But putting God first through our marriage and really making our marriage holy is a, a different concept than I had even considered. So it's uh, very powerful. Thank you. Yeah. Anybody else? Yes, James. Yes. I. I it came to mind like I'm thinking all the time that things have to be my way or they should be my way and like there's no other way you know and, and growing through through so many years of marriage and listening to this I'm thinking hey you know what there is a way they're both of the two become one so um, I'm thinking that my wife has given me some ideas, and now I'm thinking, hey, you know, that's 
right. It could be this way. And if, in other words, in my mind, I'm saying, oh yeah, but if I had done this in my way, I could see where your way is, is, is going to give it a more positive or stronger grip. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Anybody else? Maybe one or two more. Yeah, so. Yeah, I thought it was just so hopeful because it helps me to see that the collisions I have with my wife are not necessarily bad. It means that, you know, I'm, uh, after all these years, you know, uh, being a bozo, or, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, it really is hopeful that it really is um, the opportunity to to really look at myself, and, and I see, as the brother said, that you know, your sin that's being exposed in your in this close relationship. Yeah, thank you. You know, it flips it. Like, you know, when Pam and I were first married, you know, any hardships that came up, I thought that that was like something was inherently wrong with our marriage. And the way that this gentleman's framing it, I agree with him. That's going to be normal. It is bad. The hardships are bad. When you sin against each other, it is bad. But you know you're sinners. You know you'll never marry somebody that's as good as Jesus Christ. You know it's going to be a sinner. And so it kind of flips it to realize that there's not a better environment to grow as a Christian than marriage. Nothing's like, what does growing as a Christian mean? Does it mean becoming more loving, more patient, more faithful, more forgiving? Like marriage pushes you on those exact things, right? And so now you realize when the hardships come, like this is supposed to happen. This is actually an opportunity for me to grow at this moment. And so instead of freaking out about the hardships, you go, all right, let's go to work as Christians and let's grow and become more Christ-like. Yeah, Cassandra. Yeah, I, just, I think one of the benefits of having this perspective is that in every conflict or every trial, it'll shift the way you approach it, right? If you're mm. instead of like, oh, if only you would have said that differently or, or be quiet or if you change, instead you're like, all right, what do I need to do to be, to please God, to be more like God? How can I change? It just shifts the way you approach every disagreement or every conflict. I, I agree, yeah. Yeah, Wismar. You know, I, I, I appreciate uh, you and your wife, like just all the, all the advice that you've given us over time. And you mentioned at the beginning how you have this permission of telling on on each other with a trusted couple. And that's something that my wife and I have put into practice thanks to you. But thinking about this, it's almost like we need to give permission to tell to, to tell on ourselves mm -hmm. with those trusted couples. Not, mm -hmm. you know, what did my wife do when she needs she needs your help. It's more like help me out with this because right. yeah. you know we're struggling with this so that's that's a that's a really neat perspective that you just have from watching the video great thank you all right so um i love this point it's unfair and unrealistic to expect that your spouse will make all your dreams come true and provide all your happiness Somebody, I think it was Sam Lang, years and years ago said, that's too much pressure for any human being, any, no matter how virtuous, nobody can make all your dreams come true. Like we look for life to the full, we look to Jesus, you know, and, and that makes even, that makes the joy in marriage more reasonable, more like a reasonable expectation rather than all my dreams are going to come true because of this person. So... 
Um, I don't know if anybody wants to comment on this. I think we may have already touched on this. Do you agree that marriage is an environment that you can grow in spiritually? Why or why not? Uh, I know it's a yes or no question, so I stuck on the why or why not in the end. Any, any thoughts on marriage being an environment where you can grow? Any thoughts on that at all? You're the preacher's wife. Go ahead. So I always tell people, like, it's like I have a live-in discipler, right? Because there's someone always available to see your, your flaws and, and what's going wrong and sharpen you. So although every single Christian ought to have correction, sharpening, growth, they only get it when it's seen. And that's not very frequent if you're single, living alone, you know, different scenarios. But when you have someone in your home constantly seeing those things, they're going to bring it up the same way a parent will bring it up with a child. Like, there's a dynamic where you're forced to address it constantly. So you will grow if you allow it to change. Yeah, coming to you, Tony, I just want to say, um, here's a real important thing for every Christian's life. Can you take correction? Can you take correction? Oh, do you allow your spouse to correct you? I just think it's a degree of humility we could, most all of us could grow in. Tony. Uh, well, on the other side of what you both said <laughs> is the fact that it, that can be corrosive as well. Right. So the discipler in the in the home has to do it in love, in love, and, and as if they were speaking to their their sister or brother in Christ, so that it doesn't become something that they push away. And, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree completely. I, I think this is just uh, mature wisdom that, that Tony's sharing with us. You know, Pam and I try to help each other spiritually, but um, there has to be a level of kindness and living together and kind of being reasonable about it. You know, it takes humility, and, and it, would, it really could be bad if one person thinks they're more spiritual than the other person, you know. Then, then that can actually be, I, I like the word you said, corrosive. It can really actually begin to develop a damaging dynamic to the marriage if you think you're the one who has to set the other person straight, you know, so. find that the person won't want to hear you. Right. He said to the point where the other person may not even want to hear you and they, you know, it can be bad like that. Stephen. I think also though, by the same token, it, it, this, what he's talking about here, makes you pause because not everything our spouse does that irritates us is a sin. Right. Mm. So it causes us to, to yeah. introspect and look at ourselves yes. to say, why is what this person is doing bothering me? What do yes. I need to change about myself before I go tell on <laughs> my spouse right. to say this person is doing something wrong? Wait a minute, what am I doing wrong? Right. Am I, that this irritates yeah. me, this yeah. bothers me. You know, I, I don't remember the reference by heart. I think it's in Ephesians 5 where Paul uses this wonderful little phrase, bear with each other. And bear with each other means put up with each other. And I think there's that acceptance that there's things like between now and when you guys die of old age, your spouse will never change. And there are things that are driving your spouse crazy that you are never going to change even though you ought to. And so you just have to learn to bear with each other, like take it in stride, adjust, get off your high horse, and just realize you're living with another normal human being. Edward. So, yeah, to kind of piggyback on what he said, I think it truly offers us the opportunity to put into practice what the fundamentals are supposed to be of Christianity. Yes. And I like the way to, to think of it is uh, if Jesus Christ came to establish the ministry of marriage, what better person than the one that's supposed to represent the mirror for you? 
practice that fundamentals. Amen. Hey, um, we're actually down to about 10 minutes maybe that we want to go. So I want to show you, I do want to show you an idea that um, Gary Thomas touched on, and that is he mentioned several times about that period of infatuation, like neurologists saying maybe it's 24 to 36 months, and then the period of infatuation's over. Well, there's some conventional wisdom out there that he's referring to, and that is the three stages of marriage. And I just wanted to throw this out there for you guys. I don't have a scripture for this, neither did Gary Thomas. So you're just going to have to take this into consideration and, and weigh whether you think this is valid or not. I've lived this, so <laughs> you just tell me what you think. The three stages of marriage are, by the way, this is from the University of Florida. Not that I'm a Gator fan, but um, <laughs> just saying this came from their psych department, their counseling department. The three stages of marriage are, one, romantic love. Number two, disillusionment and distraction. When I first, when I was much younger and I heard about the three stages of marriage, I thought, yeah, but not me and Pam. Like, we're never going to go through the disillusionment. It was year seven. We were up in Lansing, Michigan, and it was the low point of our married life. We had another significant bump in the mid-1990s. Significant bump. You know what I mean? Like a real low point. And times when Pam was really disillusioned with me and disappointed with me, or times vice versa. And this is normally going to happen. Maybe you have the bulletproof marriage and you have not experienced it. But most people will go through a time when the level of expectation they have for their marriage simply is not coming together. And they get disillusioned and disappointed. And then the third phase is um, either you get divorced, or you adjust with resignation, or you adjust with contentment. So when you get disillusioned in your marriage, you've got a fork in the road with three paths. The first one is you can get divorced. You can go, all right, hardship has come. I'm let down. I quit. The second one I've seen a lot in the world, not so much in the church, and that's people that hang in there in the marriage, but they're really unhappy. <coughs> and so they stay there, maybe because they don't have a better idea or any way out they can see. They'd rather hang in there than get divorced, and they stay there even though they're unhappy. The third way is what this class is pointing towards, what Christian marriage is pointing towards, and that is to learn to live with our differences so we can find contentment by growing more Christ-like. Does that make sense? Like you adjust out of love, you put in the work of changing your own character, doing what you can to have a new level of marriage that is a mature expectation rather than an unrealistic expectation. I might have a last question uh, or two for the group. Any comments on this idea of the three stages of marriage? Oh, it explains what they are right here. By the way, I want to read stage three. Stage three inevitably occurs as couples contemplate whether they are not uh, whether or not they would like their marriages to continue. The reality is that more than 40% of couples eventually decide to get divorced. The rest decide to adjust to marriage with contentment or resignation, the latter resigning themselves to the fact that their marriages probably aren't going to get much better. However, a growing number of married couples have decided to work on their marital friendship. What an interesting phrase, marital 
friendship by gaining new relationship knowledge and skills. These couples tend to adjust to the realities of long-term marriage with contentment. In fact, two independent statewide studies found that uh, of the people surveyed who consider their marriages to be in serious trouble at some point, in other words, they face stage three, more than 90% said they were glad they were still together. In other words, once they push through. So I hope this isn't cheesy or self-serving. I'm just going to say it. Um, Pam and I have gone through some significant bumps. Sometimes it feels like a honeymoon. I'm not kidding. Lately, like the last five or ten years, <laughs> one time, one time I asked Pam, I hope she still feels this way. But you do. I said, this is about four years ago. I said, Pam, how are you feeling about our marriage? She goes, 10 out of 10. I know for a fact that I'm getting four out of 10 many days, not 10 out of 10. So I'm not saying every day is a picnic, but what I am trying to do is be encouraging. I'm not trying to be self-promoting. I'm trying to be encouraging. I genuinely, genuinely believe if you push through the hard times in a godly fashion, that you'll be blessed and benefit by becoming more Christ-like. That's all I have for this evening. Any last comments or questions? I will be back next week to see what else this guy has to say. Thank you very much.